impact, income, and influence. It's the three things that are most important to entrepreneurs today, and that's what this podcast is all about. If you're a coach, consultant, author, blogger, YouTuber, creator, or entrepreneur who believes what they do can change the world, this podcast is dedicated to you. I'm Steve Warner, and welcome to Impact, Income, and Influence. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to Grow Your Impact, Income, and Influence, the number one show for monetization strategy, fun, and this week we are talking about social media management. I am joined by Deborah Feinstone. Deborah is a social media marketing strategist and trainer. She also has a great smile. She's joining us today. Deborah, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. It is my pleasure. So, how does one like did were you just born a social media marketing strategist? I mean, did you pop out and you were like, I know how to do social media. Well, okay, you're seeing me on camera, but literally most people are too old to have done that because social media didn't exist, right? So, no, not in the slightest. I have been doing social media marketing for about seven years now. Um, before that, I was doing a little different kind of marketing, and I spent the first 12 years of my career as a journalist. So that's actually where I started. My background was in writing, but I think it all applies because it's all storytelling. It all is getting information, and then how do you get it to people in a way that is helpful to them? Now, yeah, sure, marketing's a little different than journalism. It's how does it serve them? How can you help somebody? That's a... Uh... Okay, that is a good starting place. And it gives us a little bit of your background. So talk to me, like, take me kind of through that. How does one go from being a journalist, which is vastly, I mean, it's different, right? I mean, you, I think when you start a career as a journalist, you think I'm going to be covering news, I'm going to be going and writing things that are meaningful covering topics, right? How do you how do you go from that to this? Kind of take us on the journey with you. Let's hear your story. It's really quite different. Yeah. From where, I, so there's obviously different kinds of journalism and different kinds of marketing. And I kind of went from one extreme to the other. Most of my career in journalism, I was covering financial news, often financial markets, bonds and currencies, fixed incomes. And most people start to glaze over right there because what in the world are you talking about? Um, you know, so global, I said global currencies, global central bank issues, financial policy, uh, fiscal policy, municipal bonds all kinds of things like that. So very like big issues in the world, things that literally move everything, even if you don't know it. Um, and I loved that. I loved um, the, the being in the midst of things that are so big and also just constantly learning. It, it, the term I used was intellectually stimulating. It was always intellectually stimulating. But it is also high pressure doing daily news and through I did through the California power crisis and through the financial crisis. And, you know, a little bit after that, it just became that it wasn't working for me in my life anymore. Personally, it's just a really hard is industry to stay in. So I shifted in some ways slightly. I started working for a uh, mutual fund company writing investment commentary. So I was writing about the same things, but now it was marketing for a private company. Got it. Uh, so that was that switch. And I went to a couple different things in between that were marketing and communications, internal communications. But what I realized I had always liked the marketing side from the beginning, because 
Um, so I, I worked for a couple different Dow Jones publications, and that matters because we always got the Wall Street Journal. And you would think someone who writes about financial markets, the section they would care most about would be the financials, the stock market section. But for me, it wasn't. I always went to the media and marketing section. I loved the intersection of kind of business that's obviously there, but also the psychology that goes into it, that kind of how do you link what people do and how people make decisions to whatever your business is. And that's that is a huge part of marketing. Well, that's, so that's what gets our like curiosity juices flowing. I, everyone I've talked to who loves marketing, that's like where we're we're like, ooh, how do we like how does this influence people and like what causes their brain to like start turning in that direction, right? And start moving that way. So okay, you got bit by the bug, right? You're right. Reading the Wall Street Journal, but you're reading the marketing section, right? It was always what was interesting to me. And then as I was doing marketing, like I said, it was very, um, still very financial based, but I really liked, at that point, actually, now that I think about it, I didn't really get to tell stories and I missed telling stories um, because when you get, and especially human stories about people, um, not like big markets, as much as that's interesting and literally world changing, I, Everybody likes kind of that human element. That's what gets you. That's what is the emotional connection. And so that's what I get to do now. I love that I get to tell stories about people and what they do to help other people or put something good out into the world. So I work with small businesses and nonprofits that do that, that put something good in the world, make the world a better place in their own way. So let's talk about, let's, let's talk about nonprofits first off. And let's, I mean, we can talk about telling stories because I think a lot of people, when they try when they think of marketing, they instantly start thinking about how do I sell people stuff? I need to tell them all about my stuff, all my, all my things, what color is it? What size is it? And they don't even think about like the benefits. They just think about the stuff. Features, right. right. The thing. And like, we're we're going to dive into that a little bit later because I'm pretty sure that's going to be a topic of what to avoid. But what did you, so when you started in this and you started seeing that, where did story come into this? Because most people don't have like that aha until they've been doing a little bit of marketing. So where did, where did that kind of come in for you? Where did you learn that story is actually important? Well, because it's always been part of it for me. That, so coming into something where it becomes a how do you show a company or an organization and what they do most of the time. I mean, the, you know what it is, is that there's some people who respond very well. And this is also that psychology piece. There's some people who respond very well to here's what we do. Here's the numbers. Here's the like analysis type things. Here's how many people we help. Here's how much money we spend. Here's the cents per dollar that we don't spend on administration, but they go, you know, all those kinds of things. If you're talking about a nonprofit or business for that matter. But a lot of people, that's not what gets them. Most people will either make a purchase, or if you're talking about um, nonprofits, make a donation based on emotion. So how do you get that emotional appeal? And that's stories. That's tell them what you do, who you help, how you help them, what it meant to them, what the outcome is. Um, I was just writing something for one of my clients and talking to a lady who kind of what, how did she benefit from a program that they were doing? Because that's the story you want to tell. It's not just we gave out X number of computers. It's who did this help? And it's this lady who has a gospel group at her church and does all these church events and wasn't able to do the kind of teaching things that she would do with kids until she learned how to use Zoom, you know, those kinds of things. That's a story. 
that tells you, oh, here's why it's important. Here's why I should care that you gave out X number of computers to people who couldn't afford them. That's perfect. So first off, if you're listening to this and you're like, I make decisions logically. No, you don't. I was going to say, I don't no, think you don't. the only <laughs> you think people you do. who even, even like the accountants mm-hmm. and the, the people, the engineers out there, they think they make decisions logically. They might want to back up their decisions with logic, which I think a lot of people do, do. but they're making their decision first because of emotion. 100%. What actually happens. Yeah. What I heard this the other day, it was put well, it was like, what actually happens is you make the, the decision emotionally and then you find the evidence for it logically that makes it make sense. So I want to tie this to something you talked about earlier. I just want to bring this up. You've seen the smartest guys in the room. Yes. No. Mm-hmm. It's the Enron story mm-hmm. that caused the right. California the power crisis. Right. crisis. How like I actually I've used this as the emotion story because what caused that whole thing to happen, in my opinion, is people got so excited about making money. They got tied to that. And then the public got tied to energy's costing so much. And it created this like firestorm of problems. But I would love to hear like, how did you see, because you, you come from when you started talking about bonds and money and mutual funds and how people get like, that's really heavy, but people are mostly like, it's a money thing. They're driven by a huge amount of emotion there. So do you want to talk about how emotion tied into, because I would think you started seeing those things happen when you were a journalist, right? If Even if you're talking about that kind of stuff, were you dealing with emotion back then or did it just happen when you switched to marketing? Oh, no, it did sometimes, not always. Definitely like those crisis type situations. You're still talking to people who have to act very rationally and logically in their job, but it still affects them very much. So I remember kind of one story I wrote, um, it was part of what the power crisis was about the head banker for the project that was running, the guy who was basically running the project for the state of California for what was at that time, I don't know if it still is, the biggest municipal bond deal in history. Huge amount of pressure, huge amount of attention on things. But I was talking to him about like, him being traveling so much so he doesn't get to see his kids and getting to know the people in the airport because he was doing the same flights all the time sort of thing. It's still a human story, mm-hmm. even though, yes, what you're talking about is a ton of money. Well, that's nice. So, okay, we've touched on story. We've touched on how people start to become emotional. I want to touch on what you do specifically as a social media strategist. Talk to me a little bit about how story plays into that because we we've seen social media all over the place right whether twitter instagram facebook youtube any anywhere that people can interact with other people it becomes social media where do you see a lot of brands a lot of coaches a lot of consultants where do you see them start to make errors that you step in and help with well you you said it here a little bit of the a lot of people are like, here's my thing. Here's what I do. Here's the features. And then marketing took me a little while to understand like features are things like it's a three month program. It's, you know, four modules or something. But really, especially if you're going to be working with somebody, you need to tell who you are. 
you need to tell, you know, they want to know, are you the kind of person I want to be spending time with? Are you the kind of person that I want to be listening to? And part of that is your expertise. And part of that is just you as a personality, you as a human being. I've been on a three-day challenge for the last few days. And it's kind of funny because I realize like the, the person I, in the pro I'm in the process of getting to know the person mm-hmm. who's doing it. And there's a lot of things I like about him. He's a nice guy. And there's one thing that kind of rubs me wrong. So it's that kind of thing. It's just finding like, do I want to work with this person? And it's just in this case, just kind of on that cusp. Um, and all of that are things that you can do and should do as part of your social media is let people see you because it's not you're trying to attract everybody, whether I choose to work with him or get in his program or whatever, I, have, I don't actually know. But it's showing who you are so they can make that decision. Like we said, it's an emotional decision. It's not at all saying he's a bad person. It's not everybody is the right fit and that's okay. You have to be okay with not everybody being the right fit. Not you have a tribe. Not everybody's your tribe. Well, let's and, let's talk about that for a minute because I think that is the key. the The internet has become a pretty jaded place, right? A lot of yeah. a lot of people have bought bad programs, or they've been burned, or they thought that they were buying into somebody's program that knew what they were talking about and they didn't. I love. I mean, I just I'm in the middle of a five day challenge right now. Um, we wrapped up the challenge last week, and we're going through the back end of it right now. Um, I think it's a great way to get to know people, yeah. see if you know, like, and trust them. And what you just said, you might even, you might like them, but they might not be the right fit for you. But there's, you don't need everybody to be the right fit. It's, I mean, in my opinion, there's an article called A Thousand True Fans. Have you read A Thousand True Fans? Mm-mm. I would I would highly recommend that. Um, I've mentioned it before on the show. Tim Ferriss is the one who brought it to light. He's not the one who wrote it, mm-hmm. but it basically says, first it lays off the definition of a true fan. A true fan is somebody who knows you, likes you, and is willing, would be willing to drive through the night to come to your concert, would buy your digitally remastered super box set, and would basically just loves you enough that they would do anything that you sell, right? And the article lays out that if you have a thousand true fans that are willing to spend a thousand dollars with you, you can make a hundred thousand dollars a year. Right. And that I feel like is a very achievable goal. Yeah. And I preframe all of that by saying, when you say you want to market to everybody, which 90% of people in their first year of business say that, right. mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to, I need everyone. I don't want to turn anyone away. Well, if you don't turn anybody away, you're also not going to attract anybody. Polarity, a magnet, part part appels, part retracts. And if you're vanilla and you're in the middle, you're going to do neither. Right. But all you need is a thousand fans. If you break it down like that, how how hard is it? And what do you need to say? Who do you need to be? How do you need to share your story in a way that repels 90% of the people, but gets you those thousand true fans? Um I want to hear you talk a little bit more about that because I think through telling your story and giving people, I think a lot of people are nervous to pull back the curtain a little bit and share who they are. So when you work with a client and you're starting to talk about strategy, what is when you're having this conversation? Cause I would imagine there, some of them are scared to share things. How do you oh, yeah. get them to open up? How do you get them to share? Usually it's very, um, it's baby steps. It's doing it little by little. The other thing I find helps is one of the things I love about digital marketing is it's all about experimentation. Just try it. Almost nothing is going to 
kill you. It's not going to crush your business. There's almost like if you are new in business, one social post is not going to crush you. Try it. So one of my uh, constant battles, <laughs> I was going to say favorite things, it's not a favorite thing, constant battle is getting people to do video. Video is very, very powerful. People connect to it a little, lot better. Again, it's that psychology. It's how our brains interpret it. But it's also that the systems, the platforms themselves, Facebook, Instagram, so on, they like video. They'll play a video to more people than they will a photo, which is more people than if there's no image at all, largely because people like it themselves. So do a video. I do that one all the time. Getting people to do that can be really hard. I had a uh, client recently who, since I'd been working with him, had suggested doing video and he said, yeah, 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 and then never made it. And he lives just a little too far for me to like walk into his house and shoot a video, not to mention COVID. Um, but the, and then he finally did do a video and it got 10 times as many views and 10 times as many comments, literally, than like the average other post for him. Mm-hmm. And he immediately texted me that day. It was very funny. He's like, oh, that went really well. I'll do more of those. So it's that willingness. Surprise. Right. And I was like, great. <laughs> I'll just, I don't need to say I told you so. The, has he done another one? No. But the, so be willing to experiment with it. And most mm-hmm. people are like, okay. The other thing is to think of it as talking to a friend. Most people, if you say, tell me about your business or what you do, we all love what, as entrepreneurs, we love what we do. And as nonprofits, we care deeply about what we do. So you like talking about it. So treat it as talking to one person. Treat it as talking to or a few people. Don't worry about what else it might be and that it stays there, which it does. But it's, yeah, getting a comfort level going. Well, so talk to me. I want to hear... If you're nervous about doing a Facebook Live, do you give them a script? Do you give them some bullet points? Do you give them a best practice? How do you, what do you tell them to talk about? Because I agree with you. I think video is the number one way to use social media because it's easy, it's fast, it doesn't have to take a lot of time. It's not near, to me, it's much easier than writing a post. But what, Star. if somebody's faster. listening, I'm a writer like, and I've been doing tons of video because it's actually easier and it reaches more people. So, like, just do video. But sorry, to answer your question, don't start with a Facebook Live. Don't even start with a regular video that goes on your feed. I like to tell people to start with one of two things, either stories in Facebook or Instagram, because they disappear after 24 hours. Mm -hmm. Generally, fewer people see them and they disappear after 24 hours. So it just lowers the bar for you mentally. Um, The other one I was doing for a while was use your personal feed, not your business one or even your personal stories. I actually started out on Instagram doing Instagram reels because I was trying to figure out those when they came out on my husband's account because I had forgotten that I have a personal account so <laughs> until he reminded me actually. Uh, so right, doing it in a way that there's no pressure, there's no consequence to it really. My friends aren't gonna care if my video or my reel isn't great. And the truth is, neither are the people who follow you in business either. They either like you or they don't. We're getting back to what we said before. Not everybody's your people, and that's fine. Do you really want to be working with people who are going to nitpick every little thing about you? If you say, um, or if your hair is weird, or if there's background noise. I don't right. know. I don't want to work with those people anyways. Like, let, let's get to a point. Let's do something that's meaningful. So So what story should they tell? Because I think a lot of people, this goes back to like the features and benefits 
Like they want to talk about their business, but they're like, okay, I should tell a story. What story should they tell? Like, what should they start with? What's a good starting place for them? Often it's your own story. How you got into it is probably part of it. And especially if essentially you are your own ideal client, that's one of them. Um, Telling stories of how you help people is really great. Uh, Kind of the... So, so one thing that's always really good in marketing is testimonials, is having someone else say that you're awesome at what you do. I think only second to that is case studies, which is basically the testimonial that a client didn't give you or someone you worked with didn't give you, but it still shows how you did something. So I did a fundraising campaign last year for one of my clients and they were very, very happy with the results. And they said something like, this is great, Deborah, that's awesome. Well, that's not much of a testimonial and it's not a story, right? So I actually told the story of here's where we started. Here's what I did. Here's why I did it. Here's what the outcome was. That's a story. In that case, that's, that's a case study. Yep. So like what is actually happening? What have you, what have you done? What's going on with clients um, or people you work with? Sometimes it's just people you're talking to that's not even a client. That's okay. Tell that story. So well, that's. That is, I mean, I agree. I agree 100%. Um, I send out a lot of emails. I do a lot of videos. I do, and it is literally just doing exactly what you said. Um, Tell a little bit of the story, why it's important, and what the outcome is, and make it fun. Like, make it as fun as you can, in my opinion. Um, People are much more apt to listen if they enjoy it. Right. And a lot of times I've done ones where like, this is the mistake and here's what I learned. That's still a story and those can be funny. So that is, I mean, the mistakes, mistakes are really easy. Um, This is actually, this touches on something that I tell people all the time. Like it's better to be vulnerable and be honest than to be the person who is not like, if you've heard the Superman analogy, when Superman was first made, he wasn't allergic to kryptonite. And he was too perfect and nobody was buying the comic book because there were mm. no flaws. People like flaws. The be only vulnerability. Thing, yeah. Be vulnerable. The only thing is you have to solve it. Don't be Britney Spears shaving your <laughs> hair off. And it don't be a mess. <laughs> right. Um, there has to be a lesson from it or rather people want to work with you when you've discovered the lesson from it. That is exactly right. That is so. what people are looking for. Um, so, okay. If they're going to do a video, how should they, if you're working with them on strategy, should they do the same video over and over? Should they tell one a day, three a day? What are some best practices that you can share with us? With most of my clients, it's honestly just do more than you're doing before. Sometimes that's enough of a challenge. Um, I definitely, I don't ascribe to the idea of like three videos a day or even posting multiple times a day, because again, depending on if you're a bigger organization, that's one thing. But if you're the solopreneur and you're wearing all the hats, you don't have time to do that. And I get that. And I respect that. So I don't ask people to do. I've seen, um, trying to see it here, uh, one like recommendation, of, like the ideal number of things to do on Instagram each week, eight to 10 stories, four to seven reels, three photos, one video, three minutes of IGTV, and one hour live. And that's just Instagram. And it makes me like, what, what else are you doing? Like, that's your whole job then. And for most of us, it's not our whole job. We got other things to do. So I throw that out the window. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. And, and, I, 
And I encourage other people to, too. I think like looking at stuff like that or seeing that or hearing that scares a lot of people to the point of not doing social at all. And right. that's not true either. That it, it doesn't have to be that extreme. It's definitely not an all or nothing game. It can help you to the point that, you know, that you are able to use this as a resource to reach more people. Well, I think that's the starting, starting somewhere and just start, mm -hmm. just yes. do it. What would you tell people that are scared of being judged? Because I think the number one thing that stops people from doing a Facebook live is that they're scared of being judged. They're like, what, oh yeah, I could do that. And then I'm scared. What does judgment mean? What it, it's, uh, this is like what I said to my kid when they were little, what, what's not, what's the worst that's going to happen, but like, realistically, what would happen? What would you play that role? What would you say? What's the worst thing that, that can happen from a Facebook live? Somebody's going to hate me. Somebody's going to give me a thumbs down. Okay. Blah, 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 a thumbs blah. down. Right. Hate, hate you. You don't know that. So what would you actually know? No one's going to put in the comments. No one's going to bother putting in the comments. I hate you. Right. No one's going to bother putting you're stupid. First of all, again, whoever sees it is unlikely to be thinking that. But even if they are, they're not going to do anything. What's the worst? They, they click out. People do that anyways. It doesn't mean they hate you or you suck. So right. it means they had to go answer the door or pick up their kid or take something out of the oven. You know, it could be anything. So, so talk to me about how does this translate to business? Because I think that's the other question that a lot of people have. It's like, well, I don't want to pitch somebody a hard pitch on a Facebook Live. So how does this actually translate to business? I think this kind of brings it full circle. But in your opinion, how does this translate to business? How do you use it? It's all balancing kind of what you do and showing we kind of where we were talking earlier about showing who you are and the outcomes you have and telling stories and stuff. And it's balancing that with selling, with giving people the offer, the invitation to work with you and what that means. And so one of the most common mistakes I see is people, actually, there's two related here, people selling all the time, people who are always just, here's my thing. Here's like you said earlier, the here's the size, here's the color, here's the price, here's, you know, blah, blah, blah like having something in your face. Um, so you can't be doing that all the time. And the recommendation is usually to sell about, spend about 20% of your time and effort selling and 80% educating, providing value and um, entertaining people, which could also mean inspiring them, motivating them or commiserating with them, common problems that happen to your ideal client or in your industry. I'm sure there will be lots of funny ones right now around tax day, for example, mm -hmm. the, uh, from accountants. So 20% of your time selling. And it is the way I have found that it feels natural for a lot of people is to treat it as an invitation to work with you. It's the, here's all my information. If you're still listening, if you're still reading my stuff, that you're learning something and you want to learn more, here's how. Give me a call. Here's how we make an appointment. Here's how you email me, send me a message, whatever it is that you're doing. Um, inviting people to take that next step. A funny thing I have found lately happening is that people also make the mistake of going to the opposite extreme and never selling, never making that invitation. And that's going to be just as bad. That's where you're going to sit there and say, oh, social media doesn't work. No one ever asked to work with me. Well, you never invited them. Right. So, you know, you never asked them to. It's like saying the girl didn't want to date me. Well, you never asked her out. So 
there's also that. And so again, it's important to still keep that 20% selling. Don't let that disappear completely because we're all here, you know, if you're trying to run a business, you're trying to make money, you do actually need to sell something at the end of the day. And that's just asking people. And I think you've said this before, you have to understand that everybody listening is not going to be ready to buy at that moment. It's actually a very small percent. Mm -hmm. So keep talking. And some people will answer the, you know, take that invitation and some people won't. And maybe they will later. Well, I mean, everybody wants, wants that person, right? They want the person that they know, like, and trust when they're ready. You want to have an auto mechanic that you know, like, and trust. And if you know, like, and trust them, let's say you have that mechanic, right? You're going to send your friends to them. You might not buy, but you're going to send your friends. Oh, I got a guy. You got a problem. I got the guy. You, you're going to love this guy because everybody right. wants to have that person. So mm-hmm. the way you become that, in my opinion, through social media, through Facebook lives, through getting to know people is they might not buy from you right now because I think about it's the stat I've seen is about 3% of any given mm-hmm. marketplace is looking to buy right now. But if they know, like, and trust you, they will refer you. And right. if you stay in front of them by doing Facebook lives often, by doing some posts, by doing some emails, by being top of mind, then they'll refer people to you, which is what you want. Right. That's how they get to know you enough that they're like, and, and it happened to me the other day. It's a friend of mine who I did some work for last year. She sent me a referral. And part of it is, yes, she follows me on social and all that. And she is my friend otherwise. Um, but when someone else said, oh, I need to reboot my business, I'm looking at redoing my website or social, she's like, oh, Deborah, Boom. immediately. There you because go. Deborah did a great job. Deborah knows what she's talking about on all this stuff. Go to Deborah. Here you go. So that's what you want. Awesome. So do you have an outline? Do you have something that people can get started with? Do you have, what do you got? Yeah, I do. It's funny. We've spent this whole time talking about like, what do you say on social and how do you tell stories or what are examples of stories and what's that 80% of not selling that you can talk about? So I have a social media content calendar that includes a list of 20 some topics of things to talk about that are not selling for the most part, that are letting people get to know you, come to like you and eventually trust you and see you as an expert in what you do. Um, so yeah, I have that as a download. Awesome. Um, that will be in the show notes. I love like, that is a great idea because a calendar not only tells you what to talk about when, but it gives you like, do this, then do this. Then three days later, do this. It's just easy. They can download and take action on it pretty quickly and easily. Right. Right. The idea is go through the list of topics and just brainstorm down them. So, for example, one of them is frequently asked questions and just run a list of what kind of questions do you hear all the time? Let's say you come up with eight of them. Look at that. You have eight posts now. And then you go to the calendar and there's a frequently asked questions this week. And there's a frequently asked questions in two weeks. And there's a frequently asked questions some point after that. And it's also set up, like you said, to have a couple a week. It's not overwhelming. You're always welcome to do more. Um, But it also includes in there talking about doing stories, doing videos, doing lives, like reminding you of that mix that does make it all work better. Awesome. Deborah, if people wanted to reach out and contact you, where is the best place for them to find you? Well, you shouldn't be surprised. I'm all over social media. So (laughs) you can find Finestone Marketing Solutions on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And my website is dfinestone.com. Awesome. 
Deborah, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all this wisdom. It was super fun to talk to you. Yeah. Um, and who would have thought a journalist covering financial markets would have turned into a social media marketing strategist? I like it. Yeah. Awesome. You know, we've all got our own story. So <laughs> it's a good story. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, it was a pleasure to have you on. To everyone else who is listening, until next week, take action, change lives, and make money. We will see you soon. Nothing has the ability to grow your business more than a powerful one-to-many sales presentation. If you're looking to scale your business, get your message out to more people, and close more sales in an easy and straightforward manner, head over to deathtobadwebinars.com and grab your free course today. Thanks for tuning into the show, and we'll see you next time.